Hello and welcome to another edition of Spotlight, the Star Trek podcast from a non-tracky perspective. I'm joined by my usual co-host Matt. Hello everyone. And Paul. Welcome back. I'm Liam Dempsey and we're joined by a very special guest. He is a triple threat. He was our the first, original Spocklighter. The, the original. He was our first ever guest back in December 2016 for Star Trek IV, A Voyage Home. He is the composer of our theme tune. We wouldn't have a podcast without him. And he's the host of his own podcast, Pretending with Dice. Welcome, Adam Johnston. Hey, everybody. Hey, How's it going? How you doing, man? Yeah, pretty good, pretty good. It's taken me a while to get back on here, hasn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, well, the thing you remember, AJ, you remember that yeah. I actually originally invited you back years ago when we were going to do our first episode surrounding the TV series, the original series episode. And I was yeah. like, perfect guy to come back on for. He was the original guest. So he'll come back and pick some original series episodes for us. It'll be great. Then AJ turns around and goes, nah, mate, original series shit, don't like it. Uh, like, what? <laughs> it wasn't so, so much that. It was It was like, I, I think I was just like, hey, no, don't get me wrong. I like the original series, but like I've always kind of preferred like TNG Deep Space Nine. And you were like, oh, well, those have already been kind of <laughs> yeah, called dead. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so you could have just taken the scraps uh, of the original series. <laughs> but now finally is the time as we've begun this new run of episodes where we get a hardcore Star Trek fan on to talk about an episode they feel passionately about, whether that is love or He just or hates hate. the original series, though. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and AJ has come back on to talk about a Star Trek Deep Space Nine episode. Now, last time you were on, AJ, you gave us all your Star Trek credentials, and I remember mm. you telling us that you'd seen it all. I've seen everything. I've seen it all. Well, I don't, I don't, no, no, I've never claimed to have watched... I still Love haven't watched the animated series. But, <laughs> and I've never claimed to have watched the animated series, but I've pretty much seen everything else. Um, okay. Yeah. Think the latest iterations as well? So. Well, other than Lower Decks, yeah. Um, ah, of course, I've obviously yes. seen, the, seen the first episode of Lower Decks. You guys were kind enough to tweet out the link to it being uh, available on YouTube. Which quickly um, got yeah. pulled down, so I still haven't seen it. <laughs> yeah, I watched it's the good, first it's five good. minutes and they got fucking pulled. <laughs> well, I got in there just under the wire then. But, oh, well done. Because um, it's mad, yeah. isn't it? Because I, I think I when you were last on, AJ, well. that, you know, there, there was no new Trek yet. I don't think Discovery had started yet. Picard? No. no. Discovery hadn't started. I think when you guys came over to mine and we recorded our big uh, Pretending We Die Spotlight crossover, basically a year later, Discovery hadn't quite premiered yet. That's right. It no, still it hadn't, um, because that was the whole thing, wasn't it? It's because when we saw Discovery, the first episode, like, it we seems were so to have shocked. a few plot points Yeah, well, D&D. <laughs> <laughs> well, it wasn't even just like some minor plot things that were similar. It was like bits like um, I'd written the theme and everything, and then like a week before Discovery premiered, they were like, oh, here's the theme, and it had some annoyingly close musical things to the <laughs> thing I'd written as well, and I was just like, look, seriously, guys, I haven't ripped off Discovery. It just hasn't come out yet. We were there first. We were there first. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We got there. T- even if they'd already filmed it, we didn't know about it. So uh... <laughs> Burnham being half Vulcan, half human. My character was a half Vulcan, half human. Uh, Liam's oh, obvious, obvious mutiny. 
happens <laughs> in the first three episodes of Discovery. I mean, yeah. to be fair to Michael Burnham, I think that my mutiny was far more self-centred than hers, to be honest. She oh, was for doing sure. it for yeah, the good no. of the crew. <laughs> like, <laughs> like the polar opposites of mutinies there. Like, <laughs> you just um, saw the, the, the option, like the captain is off the ship, I'm going to take command by force, even though you were already in command as the second command. <laughs> <laughs> you were going after power that you had. Yeah, yeah, you Yours was a power grab. Hers was like, we're all going to die. You were playing <laughs> it like someone Frank... plays Grand Theft Auto when they've decided to save and quit for the night, but go on a bit of a rampage <laughs> first. <laughs> yeah. Well, Matt, you've watched me play Grand Theft Auto, so you know that's exactly it's what horrifying. I'm like. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Should we call uh, the cane mutiny? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, frankly, yeah. I think I should have been uh, given a promotion for showing initiative. <laughs> well, you got you got promoted to a more permanent position in a in a prison somewhere, space jail. I, I just love that. I just drop it on him every now and again, spitting his sandwiches. Field. <laughs> uh, AJ, I think last time you were on the podcast, I don't believe you'd launch pretending with dice just yet. No, no, I hadn't. Um, and we launched in uh, May 2017. I think, in fact, actually, probably the last time I was on your podcast. I was still doing Sup Dude. I um, think so. Because that kind of came to an end in sort of January, February 2017. And then I spent a little bit of time kind of figuring out what I was going to do next. And then Pretending with Dice came out in May. So, yeah, I mean, it was all all changed in between <laughs> my appearance on here and when you guys came on came on mine, really. But, um, yeah. Tell the yeah. listeners what Pretending with Dice is. Uh, okay. So, yeah, basically we're uh, um, a sort of actual play, tabletop role-playing uh, podcast. We kind of play games like D&D and with you guys have played Star Trek Adventures. We've done Star Wars, Call of Cthulhu. Basically, we play the game. Uh, record it and then I get to spend hours upon hours <laughs> squirreled away in my cave writing uh, musical soundtracks and adding sound effects and basically editing it so it's kind of a little bit sort of part game part kind of audiobook experience with some of them in varying degrees kind of thing well, yeah and, your uh, Star yeah. Wars run was like the most authentic audiobook we'd heard like the, you know your scoring in that <laughs> and, and sourcing of all the sound like it was straight legit you know it was fantastic yeah, I, I think I nearly had a nervous breakdown making that um, <laughs> I, I was seriously putting in like full-time hours on it and then going to work in, in the evenings as well so it was uh, that was a lot of work but uh but yeah no we we've been running for i guess oh you know we had three years three year anniversary was in um may so that's uh that's gone real quick it, yeah it, all I mean, affects it. it was so much fun mate coming to do that and i i've got to say for the listeners who have not heard aj's podcast the post-production work you do on it is absolutely incredible i remember when we came and did those episodes and it was quite chaotic quite all over the place <laughs> like, you know but we were having lots of fun hmm. bouncing off each other and stuff like that and i was like oh it'll be interesting to hear how this is gonna turn out i wonder how aj's gonna shape this kind of thing because we were quite early on obviously in in your run and yeah very early on i think we hadn't it, been running yeah you, longer I think than a couple of months storyline before us or something like that and like mm. when I actually heard it, I was like, holy shit, this is like a Star Trek audio drama, like audio drama comedy. And then yeah, but improv. Off, <laughs> with some of the later episodes I've heard, like the Star Wars run and stuff like that, you, you just seem to have upped your game with each and every one and kind of really pushing forward what it's possible to do like considering like you know you are i mean we literally just had um felix trench on the show from wooden overcoats which is this british podcast award-winning audio drama 
And that's all recorded in a professional studio and everything. It is amazing what they do. But because you are one man essentially in a room, like you do, it yeah, sounds I'm... amazing. <laughs> sounds so professional, man. Just sat in my office, kind of thing, being like, oh, God, I need to, this needs to sound professional. It's like slightly perfectionist <laughs> thing. I mean, a lot, you know, I can't really be accused of being a perfectionist in a lot of areas of my life <laughs> but when it when it comes to like if i'm putting stuff out like the podcast or whatever like just part of my brain goes put in the effort because if it's not good enough I, i'm my own worst critic when it comes to coming back and and going like oh i know i could have done better than that so it ends up being sort of yeah okay i need to spend four hours writing a four minute piece of music that's going to be like buried deep in the mix <laughs> because because you know otherwise otherwise you know what am i even doing amazing um so we'll, we'll probably talk uh more about that at the end and, and plug it and everything like that but mm. today you have chosen the episode mpoc nor from star trek mm. deep space nine no warning they're out there somewhere no mercy death to all that was our motto no escape we're never going to get off the station o'brien and his crew he's coming after us isn't he are stalked by the deadliest of predators. I don't intend to stand around waiting to be killed. One of their own. We're gonna get out of here, you can count on that. On the next Star Trek Deep Space Nine. When you said this episode, uh, AJ, I was really interested to hear your reasons because it is the first episode on this run where people have kind of, you know, made their picks, which I'd, I'd not heard of before by reputation or anything like that, I'd definitely not seen it, and I was just kind of like, all the other ones that people have picked, like Preserve In the Pale Moonlight, Charles and Tribulations, Best of Both Worlds, Chain of Command, are all quite kind of, you know, known, iconic episodes, mm. and this one I was like, oh, okay, what what's that? So what were your reasons for picking this one? Well, I, I kind of, um, you know, because you had sort of said like, hey, you know, send me a few kind of different options and that, and I was sort of sat there thinking like, well, I need to have something that, well, in the back of my head, I was like <laughs> partly thinking about getting scooped on talking about Deep Space Nine and that originally, <laughs> but, you know, at a certain level. So I was like, oh, I want to find something that I'm pretty sure nobody's going to have picked. So I gave a couple of options. I think one of them was the uh, the Discovery Time Loop episode, just as a thing, because that was more just like, I like time loops. It'd be fun to talk about a time loop episode. But th this was one that I think it, it's generally quite a well-liked episode by people who are, you know, sort of super into Deep Space Nine, but it's it's a little bit different from a lot of the other ones in the season. I just remembered really enjoying it on the sort of the, on the times that I've watched through Deep Space Nine as sort of a little bit of a departure from the episode surrounding it and that. And you haven't got your main kind of bridge crew really throughout most of the episode. So it, it's it's more kind of in the vein of the um, the sort of the TNG Lower Decks episode and obviously now the, <laughs> the full Lower Decks kind of series. So it sort of was like, what's Deep Space Nine's take on doing a Lower Decks thing, which I, I've, I always find those ones quite interesting to be like, okay, well, you know, we see Picard all the time or we see Cisco all the time. What's everybody else up to? I, I, I always find those ones quite interesting. So that was sort of like kind of qu quite a big influence on like, okay, what, what shall I pick? Pretty sure no one's going to have gone for this one. Awesome, That's, awesome. Okay, yeah. so this is season five, episode 24 of Deep Space Nine, first broadcast on 19th of May, 1997, written by Hans Beimler, who was the co-writer on classic TNG episode, Yesterday's Enterprise, uh, but was also a co-writer on Shades of Grey, the infamous season two finale of TNG, which we <laughs> featured on our How the Trek Did This Get Made episodes, which covered some of the worst episodes 
of Star Trek. That's the Trek. clip show, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The director of this episode is Mike Vija. So I should like him already because it's Vija. He's done one of the episodes we've covered before, which was... Latent Image. um, Latent Image, yeah, from Voyager. He's he's one of the guys, a bit like a previous guest we've had on, like who dabbled in more than one of the shows. In fact, he's he's been in four. Yeah, you're right. TNG, DS9, Voyager and Enterprise. And he directed a lot of episodes as well. Seven of DS9, 13 of Voyager... Uh, 11 of Enterprise and one of TNG. So he's not quite David Livingston standard, but he's, he's, he's <laughs> that's a good it. spread, yeah. yeah. But some of these some of these are big episodes. I, I mean, like, I had a look on Fear his Hell, IMDb page two, as well and and yeah. uh, that's obviously a huge uh like two-parter. Like he's and he brought home the second part of Unimatrix Zero again, which is like almost had its own standalone hmm. video. Uh and the one with the rock oh, as well, which is a ma- massive Yes, he did, where he just basically I think they just blew the entire season's budget on getting him on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think the Voyager work he did, you know, is clearly standouts from that show. His next gen work where he just did one episode in season one, it, I cannot remember that one at all. Uh coming of age where Wesley sort of is involved at the Academy, so it's very early. I mean, a Wesley-centric episode of season one does not inspire me with a lot of <laughs> <No>. confidence. <laughs> but Never stand out. Spimer, uh, the writer of the episode, or the screenwriter at least, it was based on a story by Brian Fuller, who obviously went on to great things like Hannibal and also being the original uh, kind of showrunner on Discovery before he kind of uh, parted ways with them. Um, Hans Beimler, he also wrote an episode of Space Precinct, the Jerry Anderson Space Cop Show, and he wrote my favourite episode, Time to Kill, which is the one with the cyborg in it. And a cyborg like blows away loads of main characters and then they have to do a kind of time travel thing to sort it all out. It's fucking awesome. It, it, is well it there Infinity those. War and Endgame? Uh, yes. <laughs> like a bunch of our characters that, are dead. We must go back in time. Is that intense? Ah. It's amazing stuff. Has anyone else seen Space Precinct? Ah, like, I, I, I have seen it, I yes. remember it, but like the yeah, most I can one. remember is the... Like, the I guess it was like their spaceship kind of car thing being a, like blue and like it's been 25 years probably something like <laughs> that. And... They're very interchangeable where you've got like Jag, uh, Sequest DSV, oh, that, that yeah. kind of mid-90s, everything kind of looks a little bit carbon copy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I loved Space Reese when it was first an episode off. Uh, uh, so we're back to Mike Vija for a second. He directed the one episode of X-Files, which is an 18 rating. Ooh. Yeah, so that's like gets the mm. whole set. An 18, I was like, oh my god, this is what's going to happen in this Which episode. episode it's is so that? hardcore. It's basically an 18 because there's an exorcism in it, and I think anything with an exorcism back <laughs> in the night, he's got like an instant 18. <laughs> you cannot witness this! It's not yeah. as good Lest as the you do try it at home. The hillbillies. Oh, that one's crazy, that one. That, I, haven't, that I, I need to pick my, um, my X-Files like, rewatch back up again. <laughs> Matt, you seem like the kind of man who would have watched Exo Squad when you were a kid. Do you remember Exo Squad? Exosquad. No, it sounds like something that would have been out with like reboot or something. Was it around that yeah, era? Well, it was a cell animation, cell animation. But literally, it's, I, I got reminded of it because I was looking through Hans Beimler's uh, CV and he wrote a couple of episodes of that. Fucking hell. Exosquad. I'm going to see if I can find it on any stream server. <laughs> yeah, stream that service. does not ring a bell to me. So I'd be literally, very interested. It's, we, we were talking like Saturday morning kids cartoon, mm. but. Or proper season-long story arcs. Oh. It was about like interplanetary war, and I actually looked on it because I was like, "Oh, do I remember this being amazing as a kid?" And actually, it was like shit. 
And I looked up. And or is it Animals of Farthing like, Wood style, where it is still yeah, amazing? Yeah, yeah. Loads of reviews were going like, <laughs> no, this was like basically the Battlestar Galactica of like kids TV. <laughs> like, absolutely incredible. <laughs> like, yeah. And yeah, so I've got to check that out now. And he also wrote an episode of the 2002 revival of the Twilight Zone, bruvs. So ah. not the Jordan Peele version, not the original. Third time around. The 2002 version. You know, I don't think I've seen any of those ones, or all the 80s, really. It was the 2002 one was the one with Forrest Whitaker as narrator, wasn't it, I think? Oh, was he Forrest Whitaker, the narrator of it? I think so, yeah. I might be wrong on that, but I think, I think it was him. I don't know if he appeared in it the way Serling and uh, Jordan Peele does. Meet the Winslows. A family searching for a way to control their troubled teen. How far they're willing to go will take them to a gated community whose address can only be found in the Twilight Zone. So, let's get into the episode itself. We open on Quark's bar, where there's basically, there's repairs going on, and uh, Worf and Dax and I think someone else have come in to basically have a drink. Uh, but then there's terrible noise from trying to do the repairs. And Quark is coming yeah. along. I thought Quark seemed like Basil Forty here. Try, you know, uh, <laughs> <laughs> try to say to the customers, Ma- like, oh, I, like, you know, nothing to worry about here. Please sit down for a drink. I, I, I think there's no better time to remind viewers what Matt described Quark at as when he first saw DS9. Oh no, what was it? Do you remember what it was, Matthew? I don't know. A monstrous looking alien. Oh, this monstrous <laughs> beast. Oh, I hate him. Look at him. <laughs> I know. I, I, meet Gaston, everybody. The Gaston of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if we ever have Armin on, I mean, we'll have to apologise. <laughs> oh, I mean, he's, he's a firm favourite now. He, he brings the spice to every appearance. <laughs> yeah. I love Quark. I think he's an absolute legend. I think he's so funny. Yeah, like I think it's because he's such look. a unique character. Like, there's not, there wasn't anyone like him before, and there's not really been a Quark no. since. So he fits a kind of niche that a series like Star Trek can do a lot with because he is so different to the others. I really wish he was an insurrection. I can't believe they cut his scenes. Like, oh, yeah. did you mention that when we first covered insurrection? Yeah, because he was doing. Uh, it was. It was basically he was on the that planet telling uh, selling timeshares. Or the the planet of life planet at the end. It's like he would have been like the only DS9 uh, actor to appear in the movies. Because we can't carry Count Wolf. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Like, oh, that would have been amazing. That would have been so funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be so good. Are you a big Quark fan, AJ? I'm a I'm a big Quark fan. I think um, they they did a lot with that character to sort of really flesh out the kind of uh, well, just the the Ferengi in general kind of got really fleshed out. But um, I mean, Armin Shimmerman did such a great job with um, with Quark throughout the whole series. You know, like fully properly three dimensional character. I mean, compare um, compare Quark to the the first appearance of the Ferengi back in like season one TNG, <laughs> and it's it's like you know it's like night and day in terms of sort of characterization and things and uh, yeah i'm just i'm a big fan i incidentally one of the ferengi in the, that first appearance in tng was played by armin Shimmerman again a oh, bit really? of a, um, in, that, in that first episode they appear in yeah I'm, i might be wrong i'm pretty sure i'm pretty sure that's right though um, i think you probably are right they are so di- i've seen that episode and they are so different considering what a kind of a nuanced character quark would become and even the other ones uh nog and what's his brother called rom rom yeah like you know they all they become this little kind of family unit and everything like that and they've all got a lot of kind of character to them in this scene so basically Worf and dats aren't impressed about all the noise going on in quark's bar and Worf 
suggest going to the Klingon restaurant. It's not got a name, you know. It's just called the Klingon restaurant. Have we ever go seen have a Klingon. this before in DS Nine? AJ, we've been to well, the no, Klingon they, restaurant. There's a um, he, he appears that they this Klingon chef gets shown I think twice in the series. Shall I order for us both? All right. Um, let's see now. I have some racht, of course. Racht. And a double order of glatst. No sauce, please. Glatst usubal. And a side order of zilmkach. Is that too much for two? Basically, he's like a kind of singing waiter kind of dude. Uh, I mean, look it up. I can't remember which episodes it in, but uh, like, yeah. There is like randomly, it's like a food kiosk basically. This guy is basically standing behind a table putting out like gark and things like that. And you see him very <laughs> briefly in like two episodes and that's it. But it's good to know he's still around as he's end of season five. Because I think at this point, it's been a while since we've seen him. Oh, you make it sound like <laughs> everybody we know is like shopping at Quark. So. <laughs> <laughs> Like, but it just, it just really amused me the way I was like, I, I to the point where Wolf turned around like Klingon restaurant. I was like, I imagine with the Klingons, they're very functional. That it is just called Klingon restaurant. It's not got an actual <laughs> name. <laughs> and I imagine the chef being like Steven Seagal from Under Siege, just in Klingon oh, yeah. makeup. <laughs> Matt, you're usually the man who's got himself a little plot summary of the episode so we can get into it properly. Yeah, I've got one right here, actually. Just hang it up, boy. This episode focuses mainly on Chief O'Brien taking a leading role. It's kind of a him, Garrick, and Nog triple header, so much away from most of the main cast. And it's Chief O'Brien leading a team to an abandoned Cardassian space station called Empok Nor to salvage equipment for DS9 for these repairs that uh, he's been working on. And to accomplish this mission, it's necessary to overcome booby traps including two Cardassian soldiers who are lying sort of in stasis, who have been woken up upon their arrival to eliminate intruders. And they kind of, yeah, assemble this ragtag team of, you know, tertiary and extras, basically, of characters to, to do this mission and take the spotlight for an episode. And then as they investigate further, Garrick swings from reluctant ally to a drugged out main villain by the end. So it's a very, uh, very <laughs> exciting setup. Well, this is the thing, isn't it? Because they take Garrick along and he is pure Charlie in Always Sunny wildcard straight away. Um, and yeah, I was I, as soon as I saw they were taking Garrick, I was like, oh, okay, this is going to be a fun episode. There's this tension between O'Brien and Garrick straight away because Garrick starts needling him about O'Brien being like a war hero and stuff like that. And he's like, oh, I killed a lot of Cardassians, didn't you? Chief, would you like to take on the winner? I'd love to play Kotra against the hero of Setlik Three. What is that supposed to mean? Oh, we all know your distinguished war record. How you led two dozen men against the Barika encampment and took out an entire regiment of Cardassians. If you play Kotra with half that brazenness, we'd have quite a match. I'm not a soldier anymore. I'm an engineer. 
I see. Uh, so I was like, okay, okay, <laughs> something's going to go down here. A Nog turns up with like a gigantic gun that's far too big for him, which is very funny. This is the first, this episode is the first time you get a couple of the like the more modern kind of movie, TNG movie props popping up. And Nog's giant phaser rifle was one of them. <laughs> if you notice, everybody else in the show is using the um, the kind of old style, kind of kind of blocky phaser rifles, and Nog shows up. And it, and that was they used one of the yeah, first like contact phaser rifles. And there's a brief scene where Garrick's wearing an environmental suit, which again was one of the first contact props and that. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, it looks good. It does really, look cool. I really like the lighting scheme on Empok Noir to really set it apart. I mean, it is the same. It's what they do in loads of these shows where they kind of like say, we're going over to the uh, other ship, but it's the same class as the Enterprise and just they turn the lights off. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know. Well, th- this but is partly why it, this episode I found like so interesting. Because obviously, like you say, there's a huge history in all these shows of like, oh, quickly, just redress the set, you know, just so it's not just the same old corridor again. But that, that combined with what uh, Michael... What, Vija or Vejar? Um, Vija. What, what he's doing with the in terms of like cinematography and things to it really you can see the difference between Empoknor and Deep Space Nine even though you know you know intellectually it's the same sets just the way that the lighting's different there's so many more kind of like sort of I'd say kind of extreme close-ups a lot of kind of handheld steady cam stuff being done that you just don't get when they're on Deep Space Nine. Yeah. It's a lot more kind of wider shots and things, and it gives a completely different kind of, more kind of oppressive sort of dangerous atmosphere to the whole thing. You know, the cinematography and lighting in this is incredible. Like, I, I never once was watching this thinking, oh, it's just a, an unused part of the Deep Space, Nine, Deep Space Nine set. Like, I really was sold on it. And like you say, some of the shots, like there's a moment when Garrick's being told to kind of stand down by one of the engineers or security team with a gun, and he kind of steps into the foreground with a sort of spotlight behind him and he kind of delivers this mini monologue while sort of looking down the camera in a really cool, like, off-putting way. Mm. And there's lots of moments like that where it's people either coming in and out of shadowy corners and they're, you know, going completely dark. Like, it's that kind of rich cinematic darkness that is quite hard to get on network TV most of the time because so, so much of it's just, you know, lit as if you are in a showroom. So I felt it really oh, tied right, into yeah, the whole, you know, darker tone of this episode story as well. Like, yeah, I agree. I think it's like a combination of a slasher and like Die Hard in a way. Because mm. I think the score by Jay Chataway is really channeling like Michael Kamen's score for Die Hard oh, at times, yeah, yeah. I think. That that showdown and at the end with O'Brien and Garrick is very yeah. much like, I got huge vibes of that and uh, like no you really weapons. really thought he was going to have a phaser strapped to his like yeah. you know, back <laughs> with like, you know, Merry Christmas. <laughs> but it is, it's like uh, O'Brien thinks he's remaking Die Hard while Garrick <laughs> thinks he's remaking Scream, isn't it? Like, yeah, it's like that real... <laughs> of like mix up kind of thing of the two of the two styles and i agree the lighting is fantastic i love the way mm. that there's um a specific scene early on with o'brien and nog where they're just lit by a kind of neon tube and mm. yeah it just looks really cool yeah. just inventive ways of kind of using the atmospheric yeah. lighting i mean like really, the beginning really nice. you know once this episode gets going and they end up on the station it you know it has real kind of alien prometheus style vibes you know like instead of uh big old skeletons and eggs you know it's it's two broken sort of stasis tubes and they do find a corpse and stuff so it's a very like dark in what they're discovering i love that corpse it was it was really good to sort of like install that haunted house yeah. vibe and I, I gotta say for this for the slasher part of it i jumped big yeah. time in one bit and that was the, uh, the scene where somebody jumps out of a, through the glass. Yeah, oh, same yeah, bit, yeah. Same bit. Same bit. I did the same. Yeah, it, it was great. And I and to get a proper jump scare <laughs> on like network TV, like with all of that, like against it, the, was brilliant. Yeah, that's a moment when these two 
you know, previously frozen Cardassian soldiers are kind of out and about stalking them like bloody Michael Myers or something. And yeah, they uh, they <laughs> systematically take out the two security team. And yeah, it, I, I had the same thing, Paul, where it was like them kind of looking around a corner and then someone jumps out of the shadows from behind them, takes them out, throws them over a balcony and then disappear again. It's like, holy shit, there's fucking something on here. Yeah. We should say it's very cleverly structured, this episode. They do the classic thing of, if you notice, the opening like 10 minutes or so are very comedic. So you've got the opening with Quark doing his Basil Forty impression and then Carve Worf suggesting the Cleon restaurant, <laughs> then Nog with the giant gun. Then we get Garrick turning around and revealing that O'Brien and Bashir spend hours in the holodeck together, which I was a bit like, oh, hey, okay, before revealing that they're kind of having like fencing lessons together. And then we get introduced to one of the red shirts who's called Bashetti, and he's obsessed with random like Cardassian war memorabilia. And he keeps talking about that. And he reminded me of the priest in Father Ted who's obsessed with Nazi war memorabilia. <laughs> and when he's having that conversation with O'Brien, it's just like, you haven't got anything for the Allied side then. It's like, no, that wouldn't interest me at all. <laughs> like, you know, so they this really funny thing. And then, like you say, you get the cut to the stasis tube on Empot Noor, which has got the rest. Of it. It's almost like Dracula-like, isn't it? You know, the guy mm. in the Cardassian that suddenly wakes up and the eyes and this totally mm. classical horror vibe. Yeah, it's like now. heading into the basement of this abandoned uh, station. <laughs> yeah, but that, that kind of like goading of O'Brien by uh, um, Garrick about the Battle of Setlik Three, which goes right back to an episode of Next Generation where they introduce the Cardassians. And it's the battle which O'Brien shares with his, his captain at the time. And he's the captain that's gone kind of renegade after the Gadassians. And like the Enterprise is like charged with like tra- tracing him down and actually taking him out before he can kind of cause a war to, to break out. And so, yeah, clearly like set three was like this battle where, you know, a lot of people were killed and like O'Brien wants to forget it. But he's seen things he can't forget. I was on set three with Captain Maxwell the morning after the massacre. We were too late, of course. Almost everyone was dead. It's a terrible mistake. We were told the outpost was a launching place for a massive attack against us. The only people left alive were in an outlying district of the settlement. I was sent there with a squad to reinforce them. Cardassians were advancing on us, moving through the streets destroying, killing. I was with a group of women and children when two Cardassian soldiers burst in. I stunned one of them. The other one jumped me. We struggled. One of the women threw me a phaser and I fired. Phaser was set at maximum. The man just, just incinerated there before my eyes. I'd never killed anything before. When I was a kid, I'd, I'd worry about swatting a mosquito. It's not you I hate, Cardassian. I hate what I became because of you. 
and to get it referenced here five seasons into like DS9 is, is really cool. This isn't really the first time it's brought up in this show. I mean, any time really that they run into Cardassians, there's sometimes there's, they've dropped little bits and pieces about, oh, O'Brien, you know, your, your name's known and things like that. And this episode really kind of brings this sort of ongoing through line sort of subplot that O'Brien's sort of, he's got this history as a war hero, but he just wants to, he just wants a quiet life as an engineer now. It's, it's really quite interesting to me. And especially, um, I mean, spoilers i guess for a 25 30 year episode of television but uh, i mean his solution at the end where he kind of he sort of subdues garrick i mean it really re- kind of reflects that he's using his engineer i mean he says it's his kind of one-liner isn't he maybe it's true maybe you're not a soldier anymore you're right i'm an engineer But he's, he's sort of rejecting that war hero thing and saying, like, no, I'm an engineer now. Please stop bringing it up. <laughs> I killed all these Cardassians. And I would well, do that by blowing up a Cardassian. Real, it's taking real advantage, isn't it, of the fact that O'Brien is one of the longest-running characters at this point. We've carried on with him as an audience for a long time. Again, much like Quark, his character gets so much sort of um, time that, you know, you can't help but end up being this sort of well-rounded sort of character by the end of it, you know, and you can sort of see the through lines. Like you say, through two series at this point, you know, TNG and Deep Space Nine, it's quite interesting to sort of see the sort of culmination of that kind of thing. And to go back to your point where you said (laughs) the revelation that O'Brien and um, Bashir have been spending time in the holodeck, that's, again, that's a running joke throughout that, you know, they come out of the holodeck wearing, like, Battle of Britain fighter pilot outfits and stuff in some episodes. and They they seem to have a (laughs) thing about... um, war uh, reenactments and stuff which I can only imagine would be amazing in a hollow sweep. It's interesting where this went with Garrick because I personally suspected him like straight away because I mean he's a, like, a duplicitous character and when at the beginning you know he said he's coming with them and he was like oh well how do you know I didn't volunteer and I was like well, I think you did volunteer Garrick and I think that basically you're up to something and then of course as the episode goes on as as, as Matt said like he kind of becomes under the influence of these psychotropic drugs, which basically it appears that the Cardassian head honchos of the army are drugging them to make them into super racists, basically. And he kind of gets affected by that. And immediately I was like, is he really under the influence of the drugs? Or is this just Garrett? And he's lost it, kind of thing. Like you know. Well, we see don't... him put his hand in it at the beginning yeah, where, when they yeah, get on the station. Uh, yeah, no, I, I don't know if I really um, sort of. I, I, th- I do think he didn't volunteer. I mean, this is it's kind of quid pro quo thing, and he says that you know, Cisco said it'd help him secure bigger quarters for his his shop and that, which is totally in character for Garrick of like putting up this long suffering kind of front of like it was like I'm just a simple tailor captain. I just want you know to run my shop but then kind of getting involved anyway. So, I, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure I'm, I'm with you on the whole kind of is he up to something mm. at that point. I don't think he isn't up to anything at that point. That's an interesting point about the, the drugs, because like you say, you do see... Uh, you get It gets on his hand early on, right? And it feels mm. like they needed to put that kind of moment in so that people understood what was going on. But it feels like if you just take that moment out, you do have the uh, amb- ambiguous nature of whether or not He's just, yeah, serious because he is that kind of character. For sure. I mean, there's a very interesting moment, actually, you know, because they were everybody's like, Garrett, come on, you're a spy, right? And he's always like, oh, no, I'm just a simple tailor. There's an interesting moment in this one where uh, O'Brien says to him something about being a tailor. And he, he comes back and it's the first time he actually says, I'm not a tailor. And then there's a kind of pause where he sort of, again, this might be the drug sort of thing where he sort of kind of catches himself and he's not at the moment anyway. 
And like I say, it's up to that point. He's only ever said like, oh no, I'm just a simple tailor sort of thing. And it, 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 does, it doesn't stick out in the script on if this is, you know, you're just watching this episode, but for long time viewers, yeah. you're kind of watching it week by week as it's coming out yeah, sort of yeah. thing. And, you know. I mean, that moment when he does, because he saves the crewman by, you know, shooting the other Cardassian first. And then when he turns around and actually stabs that one as well, that was a real big mm. shock. Because at that point, you're still thinking, oh, what's he up to? But he has to save this guy. But then the way he does it, being able to be like, oh, yeah, that's not this tool. It's this stab. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, wanted to go back to that moment that you were talking about, Paul, the really visceral moment where the Cardassian smashes through the glass and then these two poor red shirts, so that's Bichetti and Stolzoff, who's the uh, woman, both get brutally killed. Uh, I, I was really shocked by that, that they just got... I mean, you know, obviously they, they seem like red shirts that you, know, you presume they're going to die, but it was still the way it happened was quite shocking, especially as I, I'd really come to like Stolzoff, who's the female officer. She was really, really badass. It seemed very kind of together and good at her job and so it just seemed really unfair that she just got thrown off the balcony and instantly killed yeah i guess in the lower decks fashion like those four characters felt like they could have been the cast of their own sideshow somewhere and they've come into mm. this and then all mm. been killed off mm. <laughs> yeah well, well they, they, all... they took some you know steps to try and flesh them out a bit didn't they like you know what did you yeah know, like in any good slasher you kind of yeah. want to kind of not be able to guess who's next you know, they should have an equal kind of amount of screen time so that it will be a surprise who gets gets it. There's also, like, interestingly, like, a, a controversy over one of their comments as well when they're about to board the shuttlecraft or the runabout to get to the station where they drop, a, like, a, a slur against Cardassians and calling them spoonheads, which is breaking one of the cardinal rules of Roddenberry's vision, which is there's no racism in Starfleet, but here it is, unchecked. And uh, I think it was a bit of a moral point of controversy because it got through a lot of the producers who may have, like, you know, taken it out but it, it seemed to make its way through to the final cut but i think uh it's, it's kind of good because it gives you that kind of like sense that the people perhaps lower decks don't have the full picture they're told you know the Cardassian is not to be trusted they perhaps aren't quite as educated about everything mm. you know, the full thing going on as some of the bridge officers so you know you, if you take them on your trip with you you know you're gonna have prejudice in the ranks like that, that was there in the original series wasn't it you know you had in that uh, great episode we watched can you remember the one it was called the bigotry you, you on the bridge you mean that episode yes the bigotry on the bridge scene which i think well, that's the corbinite maneuver right the corbinite maneuver yes no it's no it's balance of power isn't it not balance of power balance of what's it called terror it's the one first one with the yes no you're right it's bad to terror because it's Romulans are out there, and he says, oh, "I think Mr. Spock may may be able to know." So, yeah, yeah. And it, yeah. And I mean, because they look, yeah. and it's great to that point as yeah. well. Like you know, when they lean into the slasher tropes, you know, you can get it, maybe get away with somebody being a bit of a racist if they know that they're going to get killed off later on. So it's like you know, it's the whole having <laughs> yeah. sex on Friday the thirteenth. It's like it's okay. He was racist. <laughs> I mean, this is we, we've kind of had lower deck sort of episodes before, notably. I mean, I guess at this point the TNG one, and like say now full series of it. But it's that kind of thing of like the lower decks characters always do come across as a bit more, a little bit, I'd say maybe a bit more down to earth, a bit more kind of closer to, I guess, how weird, th I guess I think weird kind of reactive we were suddenly put into space and that, you yeah. know, it's a bit more of a kind of sun readers. Yeah. <laughs> a bit more of a kind of. Um, yeah, got into Starfleet uh, for the money, not for, not for any values. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, there's yeah. no money, man. Oh, yeah, no, no money. money. Doing it for the love of it, well, for the prestige. Yeah. <laughs> like, so the, the, the 
the the bridge crew you know the main cast they're the especially in tng are the sort of like oh no we've grown beyond that sort of thinking but then you get to the lower decks people and they're like oh hope we don't run into any spoon heads well this is the darker vision of ds9 isn't it because we're only yeah. a couple of episodes away from the end of season five so we're really knee deep now aren't we in the darker territory of this show that mm, they, for sure. they, they choose to explore. So we're as far away from Roddenberry's vision as we can be, really. Yeah, yeah. There's six Starfleet characters plus Garrick, and four of those die, <laughs> you know? <laughs> that's a pretty dark way well, to well, that's sort it. Of, like, um, it, go it, through it really, the episode. It really does lean into that horror stuff, because by the end, you know, when O'Brien's walking around the station and coming across the bodies of everyone who's died one by one, like they're popping out, it's, mm. it's like Laurie at the end of Halloween, like finding all her friends, like one by one. And then... Yeah, that's definitely, from what I've seen so far, like as dark, like, you know, like horrifically dark as uh, the show's got. And especially for uh, just a, a normal standalone bottle episode, like it's not dark because it's part of a bigger story arc. It's just like, right, we have we can be individually dark in this through our, our genre spin by making it more of like a action suspense horror in a sci-fi mm. setting as opposed to anything else going on morally or, you know, with the characters. Yeah, I mean, this isn't part of the Dominion War, no. really. I mean, you could pretty much pull this episode out and drop it anywhere in the series. The, the only reference to the Dominion War that's really being made is that they say, like, oh, what about the Dominion? And then I think someone says, oh, no, they haven't really been interested in that sector for a while. It's a, sort of a throwaway line to be like, don't worry about the big arc for now, you know. This episode, we're going to be hanging around in the dark. Well, it's, it's a, you know, we actually had to dig out like the uh, a Halloween special episode and we ended up going with the, the original series Cat's Paw, which is the closest thing to like a, a Halloween special, wasn't it, Liam? That you managed <laughs> yes, to find. yes, yes, but, indeed. But this episode actually makes a list of 18 like top disturbing and downright scary starting episodes on the internet, which is quite cool. Mm. Though there's a few here that do stand out for me from Next Gen, which did stick with me because, you know, as a kid, it's, you know, on, on TV, it wasn't often that Star Trek was scary, but there was episodes like night terrors where uh has crusher kind of alone in the cargo bay with loads of corpses oh yeah that that's a real and creepy they're all image lying that down one. then then the next they're just like all sitting up yeah and it's like <laughs> absolutely terrifying uh there was the frame of mind episode which is pretty good we talked about that one i think where uh it's it's Riker in an insane asylum and it's sort of like a nightmare and a nightmare yeah there's a really weird one in voyager called the four which is uh where michael mckean like is the guest star of the episode oh. and it's yeah, it's like I think a clown, it's been a right? Computer. It basically looks like the set of like a 1960 TV show. Basically, they're killing people on it by scaring them so much that they have a heart attack and have a cardiac arrest while they're on the program because they like basically drag them towards a guillotine. But unfortunately, this show just looks a bit silly. I think that's why yeah. it's quite hard to take that one seriously. I was going to say the episode this reminded me most of personally was Impulse from Star Trek Enterprise, uh, which was directed by David Livingston who's been a guest on our show, he actually said it was his favourite episode of Star Trek he ever directed. And considering he's directed more episodes of Star Trek than any other person living, yeah, that's quite impressive, which is the episode of Enterprise where they go onto a ship and it's got a bunch of, like, Vulcan zombies. And oh, going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, that's proper horrific. The Zindi arc, right, with the spheres and there's a Vulcan yes, ship. Yes, yes, yeah. it's in that season. Yeah, yeah, it's in season three. God, I haven't rewatched that in a while. 
It's funny that that's what that reminds you of, Liam, because for this, a lot of this reminded me of our old favourite, uh, Red Dwarf's very own Quarantine, which also <laughs> was <involved laughs> a character coming into down, contact with something yes. on a remote station that turns them insane. There you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I thought oh, that Garrett was acting like Rimmer and Dr. Langstrom infected yeah. by the holovirus. It's just a holovirus. <laughs> Gentlemen, your conversation makes interesting listening. Rimmer, is that you? Oh, yes. How long have you been listening? Two, maybe three hours. <laughs> well, no one's got any disease, man. We're clean. You have to rescreen us, sir, as per Directive 699. No one's got any virus and no one's smegging nuts. Well, that's good. <laughs> Is something amiss? Amiss? God, no. What could possibly be amiss? You don't think there's anything amiss? I'm sitting here wearing a red and white checked gingham dress and army boots. You think that's unamiss? No, of course not. It's just we thought you'd gone nuts. We were trying to heal you. I was just doing a little test. A little test to see if you'd gone crazy. <laughs> if there's one thing I can't stand, it's crazy people. Well, we've passed the test, Rimmer. You can... Let us out. I can't let you out. Why not? Because the king of the potato people won't let me. <laughs> I've begged him. I've got down on my knees and wept. He wants to keep you here. Keep you here for ten years. Could we see him? See who? The king. Do you have a magic carpet? Yeah. A little three-seater. <laughs> so let me get this straight. You want to fly on a magic carpet to see the king of the potato people <laughs> and plead with him for your freedom. And you're telling me you're completely sane? <laughs> I think that warrants two hours of W-O-O. -O. What's W-O-O? Red twins. <laughs> with out oxygen oh yeah no i can totally <laughs> see that now i hadn't thought of that garrett should have but... gone completely mad and have like a hand puppet like during the end showdown <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like, he's always slightly controlled this one isn't he like he doesn't quite quite go as maniacal as he does even in um the episode which we watched with andrew in the pale moonlight where he's the master schemer and like you know siska goes in and batters him and he's like oh, i've been doing it all along he's basically got his full joker in that scene doesn't he <laughs> um i think here i think he's maybe holding it back a little bit because he was concerned about the return to typecasting from being Scorpio in Dirty Harry. Yeah, I was going to say they're totally pulling on the fact that he played Scorpio in Dirty Harry in this in this episode, especially where he like shanks that guy up and everything. Like, like when he reveals he's <laughs> really kind of lost it. I was yeah. like, yeah, man, it is like Scorpio come back, and it even feels a little bit uh, like, especially that bit where he turns around to I think yeah the other guy, the red shirt who gets stabbed, Amaro, who I thought was going to survive but does die earlier on he's like you said he's the one who's a bit racist towards Cardassians and can't wait to get out of there and at one point Garrett turns around to him and he's like you can't wait to shoot me can you like he just like really egging him on like, <laughs> it, it reminded me of Scorpio in Dirty Harry it's like, fuck you copper <laughs> <laughs> we well, does take a hostage as well doesn't he uh... yes yeah he does yeah yeah yeah, yeah. That, that showdown between O'Brien and Garrick is is awesome they, they have a proper 
proper hand-to-hand combat fight as well, which is great. Yeah, we don't get them too often on Deep Space Nine. Obviously, that was a fixture of Kirk with the, the old double hand punch and everything. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we need more of it. Yeah, I love it. Discovery have a lot of fights, which I like. Like, you know, forget all this. Uh, <laughs> you know, sit, sitting around a table, like, talk about Utopia. Get fucking punched each other. <laughs> <laughs> We've settled this the old baby way. First guy to die, loses. <laughs> Up, boys. Uh, but yeah, really, really satisfying. Yeah, because it becomes a sort of an action movie by the end, doesn't it? I guess not fully, because we've still got the kind of backdrop of like the dead crew members hanging from the walls and that. But sort of, like you say, it sort of trans- transitions a little bit from kind of the slasher thing to like, okay, here's the Die Hard ending. A little bit abruptly, but... You know, I think it works. Uh, I enjoyed it. Running out of time. I mean, that's the thing. They they have to kind of rush the conclusion a bit because they spent so much time getting the atmosphere just mm. right. You know, mm. you can't create that by just sticking to your usual mm. rhythms of a, of the, uh, the the show. It has to slow it down a bit and just let things kind of like play out yeah. a bit. And there's only so um, much time in a TV episode. Yeah, yeah. And it has the uh, it has the final scenes to kind of put a button on stuff, kind of pull it back around where you know you see Garrick's kind of you know, realising he was under the influence of the drugs and he's coming back to normal. But to have that nice little moment where O'Brien's kind of saying, yeah, I did try and actually kill you. So it's kind of yeah. just luck that you survived, really. It's a nice, like, they have a nice kind of send-off to each other where they're just sort of like, all right, see you around. But acknowledging that, like, yeah, I went off the deep end and you could have killed me and, I, oh, I didn't work out that way, but I'll see you about. <laughs> Mm. I, I just love that at some point we actually got to see Garrick like stringing up all those bodies. It's like, I'm completely mad. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was the bit when he's over the intercom where it reminded me most of the Red Dwarf, I think, where he really is yeah. going mad. Where he said, What's red and dead all over? You! there's a great Colmini moment as well when he's basically walking through the you know the selly cam shot behind him you know almost on the phone to Hans Gruber uh, on the intercom but he walks past the chessboard and just like knocks it over oh yeah that was a great little kind <laughs> yeah. of like expression of frustration at like ah oh, to hell with your oh, was it uh Kotra, was it? Yeah, because yeah, that's kind of the most mad the game he gets called. when he's like chatting about, oh, I found this game over here and I found the last piece under the table. <laughs> <laughs> it's yes. a perfect metaphor, don't you think? It's a cheesy. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I think I was just really impressed in the fact that it totally signifies like each act break pretty much with like a major shock. Like you get the uh, moment where the ship just sort of floats off in space and fucking blows up. Like, that was a surprise because it was sort of deliberately almost thrown away. Like, just kind of Nog just looks out the window. It's like, what the fuck? Why is the ship like, oh, my God, it's blown <laughs> up. Kind of thing. Like, you know, and then, obviously, when the Cardassians actually spring out, as we talked about before, and kind of start attacking and killing people, and then when Garrick goes full loopy and stabs the guy, like, you know, so there's three big pivotal shocks dotted through the episode that every time I was like, holy shit, holy shit, this is really keeping the surprises coming. Well, I think through those as well, they did a good job of sidestepping the, um, well, the thing now, obviously, with horror films is like, why everybody's got a mobile phone, why don't you just phone for help? And this, they sort of sidestep them as like, the ship's gone, so they can't just leave. The subspace antenna was taken out by the Cardassians, so they can't just call for help. They need to do these two things to get the array working. That's why they've got to split up. So it's quite a neat way mm. of sort of saying, okay, we're using the problem solving to kind of set up the horror rather than just being like, 
oh no, we'll just techno babble our way out of this, which um I you know, I've made no bones about it. I feel like Voyager would have just done that. That that oh, that's personal prejudice against Voyager, really. But um Thank <laughs> you, Voyager <laughs> Spoonheads. <laughs> but um it was a good way of kind of it didn't feel like they were going oh no no they can't do this because of this it just was it naturally came through in the in the script to sort of heading off any kind of like oh why don't they just phone cisco up you know oh why don't they just get on the ship and leave i don't know that that felt kind of quite smart to me that's the sort of thing that a a film you know has to kind of sort out to set but tv Hmm. might just say you know what we're only here for 40 minutes screw these kind of logic tightening elements that will make it make sense why they're in a situation but yeah it did put it in so it did make it like yeah a miniature sort of slasher in a tv style uh, length so yeah i think that that goes Hmm. a long way you know it doesn't take much to work this this stuff out at script stage and they put it in yeah just a throwaway line here Mm. or there Matt, you're like the big horror aficionado of us all. You've seen a lot of like slasher movies. You've sat through some yeah. which you had sat through, I'm sure. Uh, out of five stabs, out of five, like uh, how many stabs? <laughs> I mean, you give you know this, what? this is a good like three out of five stabs. Like, and and had it been able to go full <laughs> horror, like say there had been blood and gore for each of the kills, it could bump up to four. Like the, the bones is there. Like it's a great, you know, like the alien style setup of a, of a crew coming into this unknown station and and the horror really is in there like you you got the the elements of the unknown like you know what happened to this Cardassian corpse knowing that the two stasis pods have been opened recently so you got two other crazy ones out there and then turning one of your own against your own team and a high body count so it's got all the great elements for a good little slasher and I think it pulls it <laughs> off you know better than a lot of more horror focused shows or, or or fantasy based shows that have a kind of have a stab at the similar thing at going all full slasher for you know you don't expect it from star trek and i think i'm surprised that that's why <laughs> they did it so well in, in this episode so really the only thing holding it back from extra stabs is the fact that it had to kind of work around being a prime time star trek episode rather yeah. than and even then they, did, they did well you know <laughs> i think you know, it's pretty violent hanging out all like, the bodies yeah, to dry it's just uh, you don't expect to see it so matt will those be classed as your final thoughts or have you got anything else to say yeah no basically i think i think this is a really interesting pick adam like like we've said a lot of the ones that have been on so far have been quite big hitters and it's nice to get a fan's perspective of like here's an episode that you know i know i like for these reasons and you may not have heard of and it does still work in in a lot of different ways i think it's really great strong bottle episode i think the decision to pull away from a lot of the main cast is really uh is really well done especially in upping the danger i mean you kind of know that these four characters are probably not long for this world but you know you've still got (laughs) o'brien and nog and everyone in there and you're not quite sure where it's going to go had it been dax or cisco or anyone else um I think I think if you had the main players in here, the solution to a lot of these problems might be more readily apparent. Whereas these guys are kind of, you know, it's just an engineer and a kid, basically. So they're up against it. I think it's a really interestingly shot episode. And for one that does just kind of do the redressing of a set technique, I think they do it really well. I was never pulled out of it there. And and yeah, I think it's the perfect kind of episode as you approach the end of a season, like the last standalone before you head into the final two, which will you know return to season arc storylines and set up season six. Mm. Yeah. So AJ, you chose this episode. Give us your final summation on it. Well, uh, yeah, no, I mean, I think for me, because uh, I, I kind of picked it when you <laughs> you'd emailed me, and I was like, yeah, I remember that being good, but I actually hadn't watched it for a couple of years. So on rewatching it, I think it, it really holds up, not just in a sort of like in the context of Star Trek, which obviously it it does in context of Deep Space Nine and Star Trek. I think just in general, in terms of like watching it with the modern eye, it still kind of holds up for me. It's like this is nothing was coming across as like, oh, this is feeling a bit dated. This is a bit cheesy. You know, the story's solid. 
the way it's executed solid it's shot really well you know obviously i would love an hd remaster at some point but i don't know if we're going to get that <laughs> really for me the only thing that lets it down is that it's got that season four to seven opening theme mix instead of the one to three but that's 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 purely from a music side of things skip intro yeah like, I've, i actually know there's a difference like so i better go back and yeah watch there's, that, there's a slight difference they uh from season four onwards they kind of up the tempo slightly and add a couple of extra elements in the background to give it i mean there's thematic ways that i can i can i know why they did it and i don't dislike the new one I just prefer the original seasons one to three. It's a bit that kind of, you know, sort of standalone kind of brass solo instrument works better for me. And the the four to seven makes it's a bit busier in the background and that kind of gives it, well, speech note, which fits with the show because the station's getting busier and it's getting more of a, less of a sort of remote outpost kind of thing. So it works thematically. But to me, it, it sounds more like, it's weird, like more like a 90s TV theme, if that makes sense. Again, not terrible. I just kind of prefer the seasons one to three. It's trying so. to make it sound like everything else, isn't it? It's trying to go after the next gen fanfare, mm. maybe a bit more, where it's like just be just confident in what you had. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, mm. So, uh, yeah, I wouldn't say it's, <laughs> I, I've, I've, I phrased that as like, oh, that's letting it down for me. But it, it doesn't. It was just one of those things where it's like, oh, yeah, I forgot we had that new, you know, when I rewatched, I was like, oh, I forgot it was that different version. But hey, that's that. Uh, Paul. Yeah, I, I think it's a bold move, like on the producer's part, to like you pull a lower decks. We refer to that next gen episode, I think, quite late in the run, where you focus on characters uh, that off not off the bridge crew. It is refreshing to see a, you know, this is a living, breathing station with other personnel, and like I hadn't considered that for Matt, but yeah, absolutely, it does add to the fact that you've got sacrificial lambs. You know, yeah, you will lose people on this episode rather than being quite safe in the fact that. You know, I did get the sense sometimes that Brian was way too cool for school because he's read the script. <laughs> I think them freaking out a bit more would have been like just added a little bit to, you know, to, to the tension. Like perhaps just Garrick's niggling of him brought out a bit more of the bloodlusty O'Brien as well. Like it'd be quite good to see if he had lost control a bit. But yeah, I think that's the only bit I would have would have changed and made it a little bit better. But like, I thought it was excellent all around. Great pick. Yeah, I mean, I echo everything everyone else has said. I think this is a great deep cut. Like, I was really, I had no idea what to expect going in. And yeah, I was so impressed. I thought it was such a badass episode. And it is that mix of a kind of mini horror movie and a mini action movie. I think that Cole Meany and Andrew Robinson bring out the best in each other. Like, in terms of they're two very good actors and, you know, who are kind of not always going to be challenged by a network primetime TV show. And yet in this episode, they totally are. And they're kind of, you know, giving each other their best. And yeah, I mean, it kept me gripped. I think there's shocks all the way through. It's really well structured. Yeah, I really, I really loved it. I thought it was great. And I, I think for me, I went, you know what? This is an episode I, I literally have never heard of ever from DS9. And I thought if this is one like I've never even heard of and doesn't get a huge amount of fanfare, like you think, well, that speaks really well of this show. And at the end of the day, if this episode is just a kind of, you know, oh it's it's good, but you know, it's not it's not on the classics. I think, well, you know, it's really good. I'd give it I'd give it four stabs. Four stabs out of five. <laughs> easy. Easy. <laughs> Yeah, four stabs. Yeah, four stabs, Paul agrees. <laughs> Will you go four stabs, AJ? Yeah, sure, why not? 
It's <laughs> 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 just, just raspberry the party down. Yeah. Oh, no, I mean, his scale was like four stabs. I think, uh, I think this scale is like episode, five yeah. out of five is a nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, I'd agree with it's Matt a long way as well. Like, to give it the full kind of horror, who would ideally have a bit more freedom to kind of make it be slightly more brutal, I guess. But like, I mean, not that they wasn't brutal as it was, but the, they're working in the confines of like, this has got to go on TV at, you know, I don't yeah. know what time it would have been on, six thirty, seven o'clock or something. Yeah, it's a solid 12 rating. This yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah. I um, think they pushed it as far as they could go in, in oh, their Oh, for sure, slot. yeah. Uh, AJ, can you tell us where people can find you and your podcast, please? Mm, for sure. Yeah, I mean, the best place is probably uh, Twitter. Well, my podcast is called Pretending With Dice on Twitter at Pretend With Dice because of character limits. So, uh, yeah, check, check us out on there. I'm also on there at, at AJHeretic666, which is a holdover from being a cringeworthy um, metal-obsessed teenager, um, which I'm <laughs> stuck with. <laughs> but, yeah, check out the podcast. I mean, we had a good four-episode crossover. We played Star Trek Adventures. We played it once, uh, again, more recently since then, in the Deep Space Nine era as well, actually. But, yeah, Were check it out. Were the players as unruly as us that time around? Uh, no, not at all. You were really as you. <laughs> yeah, very true, very true. You guys were very well behaved. Uh, but we yeah, that's well worth checking out. <laughs> that is well worth checking out. I, I had a blast doing those episodes back in the day of Star Trek Adventures. So that's definitely well worth uh, checking out if you mm. want to hear things go off the rails. Yeah. Check in with the boys. Uh, <laughs> See what's happening going on over there. Yeah, uh, all, all quiet on the Western Front. Fuck no! <laughs> what do you mean, we done? <laughs> well, let McCarthy tell you. I don't need to explain myself to you, yes, now. The captain chimes in and goes, Can you explain to me, Commander? Is it okay if Esno doesn't listen, <laughs> sir? This is, uh, should be captain to captain. You're not a captain, I'm the captain. But I am acting. <laughs> right now. Thank you for his captain. Captain, you're on the body Okay, uh, he, the captain turns to you, well, he's in a different room anyway, he kind of talks he, over the radius as well. I'll catch you up, Esno. Alright, whatever, I, I don't care that much. I don't like the copy guy. If you, ever, if you ever get out of this alive, there's going to be some serious shit. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> there's some severe attitude problems so going on on this, on this starship, man. <laughs> you need to learn to learn. Okay, okay. so are you going to ask what's going on? Right? Yes, please. What, what's happening, Commander? Well, Captain, I'm recommending myself for accommodation. I just ordered that we blow a Klingon bird of prey out of the fucking sky. Keep your language civil, please, Commander. <laughs> We've disabled their engines, their shields, their weapons. We've transported their entire bridge crew to the brig. We have been victorious. I was not aware we were at war with the Klingon Empire, Commander, but um, we will uh, we'll see how this <laughs> shakes out when I get back. Um, they were a threat, Captain. I don't, I'm not disputing that, but obviously this is a delicate situation. Is it? Yes, it's. <laughs> Need I remind you again? We are. Uh, You've always been soft on the Klingons, haven't you, Captain? <laughs> <laughs> I, I will not break that tone from you, Commander. This is. 
my vessel. Is it true that you campaigned for a stay of execution on Commander Clickon? <laughs> Who committed war crimes? I'm not aware of any Commander Klingon uh, that we've ever <laughs> put on trial in the Federation. <laughs> I don't know them by name. I'm not as close and fuzzy to them as you are. <laughs> this is really taking a turn. Dirty, grumpy a little bit racist there, Commander. The kind of Klingons that killed my mother and father. You forgot it, that, Captain! You've never told me that. Didn't even read my file when I came on board your ship, did you, Captain? I read it thoroughly enough. Slack. <laughs> <laughs> is this your backstory? I've decided it is now, yeah. I've got loads of backstory, mate. Mate, I'm keeping to my baddies, cheating helps you win. <laughs> Never stop fighting, my way or the highway, evasive action, it's all there, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but, um, okay, okay I, Commander, we'll be having a very serious talk when I return to the ship. You return. Consider yourself relieved of duty, Commander. Go to your, go to your quarters. There's something to bear <laughs> 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 Adam, the way you handled us, like, you know, complete DD novices, <laughs> like, uh, I just kept it on track, just like, huh, interesting, like, uh, that's an interesting choice you made there. <laughs> Not at all what I had planned, I guess I threw this about, book out uh, the window. <laughs> handling a crisis, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, that, that should be said that none of us had ever played any kind of role-playing games before and we were completely oh yeah you guys you guys did really well and you made some interesting choices and that and you know that's the end of the day you know we had a really interesting story come out of it and that which is it's just great yeah i'd I'd say and i I really enjoy running that game as well so i'm thinking in the future we're probably going to end up doing more star trek adventures as i say we're we're kind of doing our our kind of major D D thing at the moment but i kind of i keep getting this sort of like Oh, I want to do more Star Trek kind of feeling. Um, so that that one one off one we did back in the summer, I think is I'm kind of in the back of my head looking at that as like, oh, maybe that was like a backdoor pilot for a longer series with a full crew as opposed to just two of the crew members. Oh. People just want the trial of Kane McCarthy. One off, yeah, it'd be like a um, measure of a man kind of bottle episode courtroom drama. <laughs> yeah, courtroom drama, like a presenting yeah. evidence, like go take, go yeah, this is what who was your character again, Wilson? That uh, Doctor Ferrero Rocher. Yeah, yeah I know, you'd probably be the fucking prosecution, wouldn't you? Try and take me down. I would love it. Yeah. <laughs> Don't throw the bucket you, star. Yeah. Oh, amazing. I mean, that yeah, must definitely. have been almost exactly three years ago, I think, because I've had sort of things about it popping up on Facebook memories and mm. like coming out next week. And I, you know, when I was doing promo images for it and that things that that popped up the other day so it's got to be basically three years since we put that out just yeah, got real no, quick really, but <laughs> really good fun definitely worth yeah. checking out um if you enjoy so this yeah, podcast at, at pretend with dice on well on twitter facebook and instagram we've got the same handle so um yeah i've recently started on instagram i don't have any clue what to put on it pictures AJ. pictures of dice well yeah oh I mean, I mean, yeah obviously just pictures Image. of my own face being like yeah. editing the podcast yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or pictures of text that's at a stretch oh, yeah. Like, yeah. they got me pictures though <laughs> 
So, everyone go and listen to AJ's uh, podcast. It's in- incredibly well produced. You can find us at Spotlight Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And you can email us at spotlightpod at gmail.com. Well, yeah, we'd love to hear what people uh, think of MPOC Nor. If you haven't seen it, definitely mm-hmm. check it out. It's really good. It's a kind of lesser known one. And if you have seen it, come tell us, you know, if you think it's unfairly a hidden gem and it should be known by more people. And you can leave us a five-star review. So we want we want your full five stabs over <laughs> at Apple Podcasts, please. Because we know this has been a truly horrifying lesson for you, I'm sure. <laughs> so, until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.